about to listen to the profound word of God, ministered by Ty Adeshigma, pastor of Worship Tabernacle Church. Without a doubt, this will be a life-transforming experience as you acquaint yourself with the word of God and develop a rich and rewarding relationship with Him. This message will certainly shape your life, fulfill your dreams, and guarantee your success. The skill of love. I want to talk again uh, as I picked up last week about the skill of love. And I said hopefully next week Sunday we'll open it up to questions and answers uh, based on uh, this topic. First John chapter 3 verse 22 to 23. And I said this in the first service and I want to say this again in the second service. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, recognize this that God can speak to you from the pulpit. He can. Many of us, we sit down in church and we deflect because we feel that this word doesn't really apply to me. I've got some deep issues that is beyond what they're preaching. Many people don't recognize that even myself, my wife and I, we didn't go for any counseling. We're not saying people who go for counseling is a problem, but we're saying that most of the things that go on in our lives are being resolved by hearing the word of God from the pulpit because it's a prophetic word. And I, I want you to sit down in church and not sit down with the thought that I need to book an appointment because although he says this, but stop putting buts in God's word. And start to say to yourself, I'm going to receive the word and I'm going to apply it. Number two, you may not yet be where we are, where, what we're talking about. But there's something called residual words. A word that stays on the inside of you and comes out when you meet it or when you need to use it. So I learned about marriage way before I got married. You understand? So when I stepped into marriage and I started to hear and see some certain things, I was able to say, oh, they said this, you know, they said this, you know, and I started to apply this. And so I want to encourage everyone not to just sit down in church and deflect or sit down in church and say, well, until I can really see pastor, things in our marriage can't be resolved or my relationship can't be resolved. It can be resolved if you open your heart and hear the word of God. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 22 to 23, the Amplified says, and we receive from him whatever we ask, because we carefully and consistently keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight, habitually seeking to follow his plan, not your plan, but his plan for us. So what's his commandment? He says this is his commandment, that we believe with personal faith and confident trust in the name of Jesus, his son Jesus Christ, and that we unselfishly, unselfishly, what did he say? Unselfishly love and seek the best for one another, just as he commanded us. Let's put an addendum to it. What was his commandment? John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. 
I said this last week that there is a mythology in our culture that love just happens. Love just does not happen because of this mythology, many people are sitting around depressed and waiting for someone to come and love them. Love doesn't happen that way. I said last Sunday that there are three things about love. Number one, love is a skill, not a feeling. Feelings are fickle and they don't reflect love. I said love is a job. And as, an, as unromantic as it sounds, comparing it to a workplace approach, the reality is that you get promoted and rewarded the more you get skillful in love. Love is just not, oh, I, I saw his eyes and then bam, it happens. That's infatuation. That's infatuation. And it can happen. But it's infatuation. The real, the real aspect of love is it takes... It takes skill to actually love someone. It takes, it, it's a job to actually love someone. We've got to be skillful in it. Many people think the skill is always in the bedroom. Uh, I'm going to be more skillful. I pop a pill so that I can last longer and all that kind of stuff. I mean, if, if you place, place effort and money in that, what about your own personal, what, what about our relationship with each other? Because nothing good happens in the sack except it happens first in our lives. And if you have to master the skill of how to make love to each other better and how to be a better lo- lover, they will say better lover, better lover, and that's the only thing they use it is in bed. That's not love. What, when, what happens when bed doesn't happen? So if it's a skill to know how to make love to satisfy your wife or your husband, then you also have to take skill to live together and to increase and to promote each other. Someone's looking at me funny. Relax. Love is also an ability. Most of the time the ability is not given, it is grown. So I said, how do I master the skill of love? Because a lot of us, especially young ones, we just, we, 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 we're, we're so oblivious and mentally bankrupt about what love is all about. And when it doesn't fall in the jurisdictions of what we want, we feel this is not love. And there is a skill. We need to learn to master the skill of love. I said it in the first service. I finished preaching last Sunday. I went back home and I had a bus stop with my twin brother. A fight! And we dropped the phone. I kind of just remember, I said, actually... Did I just not preach on love in church? Like, seriously? But I didn't hit the second point. Maybe if I had hit the second point, I probably would have helped myself. But why I said that is all of us are work in progress because it's a skill. Serious buster. Don't ever call me again. That one. So how do I master the skill of love? As love is a skill that needs to be learned and developed. I, want to give you th- I said I want to give you three top skills. There are more than that. But the first thing I said is you've got to adopt the love command. Realize love is a command. It's not a will. It's a command. And I spoke about the four kinds of love. The eros kind of love. The filial kind of love. The stooge kind of love. And the agape kind of love. And I said those three those four you need for your relationship. Eros is the erotic kind of stuff. Uh, filio is the exchange of, of love and care for each other. The stooge is what happens between mother and daughter, mother and son, uh, family and all that. And agape is the unconditional love of God. And I said we need all four in our relationships. 
Because the love is a command to love someone unconditionally. Love dwells where dislike goes. Number two that I want to deal with today, the first one is adopt. The second one is aim to be righteous than being right. Let's read it together. Aim to be what? Rather than right. Aim to it. You've got to aim. It's a skill you have to learn. Listen to me. Love is being righteous and not right. And I want everyone, no matter if you're married or not married, I want you to all listen to this. Because this is where things are falling apart in our lives. When you pursue rightness, rather than righteousness, you are concerned with being correct at any cost. You're concerned of being correct in the eyes of man. Whereas righteousness, on the other hand, is concerned about what only what God thinks, not the opinion of man. This will help you in your relationships because rightness is usually self-centered. It says, I've got to look good before man in order to feel good about myself. And when you have that attitude, you will fight to your last breath to prove that you are right. And the other person is wrong. It, it, it is often possible to prove beyond a shadow of doubt that we are right. And then leave a relationship devastated because of our righteous behavior. All too often, believing that we must be right gives us the feeling of self-righteousness that is in serious opposition to true righteousness. Many couples will continue pulling down a good house because they feel they are right. It's not the right that is blessed. It is the righteous. Psalm 5 verse 12 says, Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up trouble. Love overlooks the wrong that others do. Sometimes there is nothing, guys, to gain by arguing who's right. Because such arguments never get resolved. It's just a tool that the enemy uses to distract us from what is called the true mission of love. Many people have died prematurely because they failed to walk in love. Anger is just one, sure, one letter short of danger. Recently I watched on social media where the police was involved. A man was fighting his family, another guy. And just to show his right, went, some, went somewhere in the midst of a, picked up a, a, a brick, hit the guy on the head and in front of everybody, all on social media, people record, the man died. Truncated an entire life. Destroyed a life and destroyed his own life because he wanted to prove his right. You know when you're fighting and you want to prove I'm so angry, you so infuriated me that I had to do this. And many people are beating up other people, injuring other people. Many people, many marriages, they're, 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 you're, you're picking up a bottle, you're picking up a fight, you're punching through the door because you feel you're right. And you may be right, but your deeds are unrighteous.
And most often, it seems we just fight because our ego demands it. That we come up on top. In those cases, we need to stop feeling so insecure and realize that God and even our loved ones value us whether or not we are right. We, 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 we so fight each other because we want to be right. Some of us are in a relationship. Many of us sometimes, many of us are married and sorry is so far from our lips. We can't just say sorry. Many of you are so right that you're in a relationship with someone. This, 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 this infuriates me, Dr. Karen, so much that you curse your relationship. You know what you do? You're, you've got engaged. The ring is on your finger. You have an argument. The first thing you do is you take off your ring. Not in this sermon. I'm not going to use that word. How, how foolish. Come so The first thing you do, you take off the ring. You're mad. You take off the ring. Where are you going? You want to prove a point. Because the, the, if you keep taking off the ring, you're take, each time you're doing it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're, you're d- diminishing and you're taking off the marriage. What's the matter with you? Hey, until you wear your ring, I'm not going to wear my ring. You see, you, you, can you see how the devil has so much right over our minds? He's going to prove a point for who, to whom, and with whom. And, and many times we, we actually feel we're right. And I say this so many times, over and over again. It's supposed to be a folk word in Washington Tabernacle. Who marks your script? Who marks it? Who oh, have done everything I can do? Who told you that? Because everything you can do, you said you've done, is in the context of how you were brought up. I've said it before, I repeat myself. When I was doing my master's, I did in theology, I wrote an assignment. It came back 40-something. I thought I was going to get 65 or 70 minimum. Walked into, the, into my lecture and said, I don't understand, how could you mark me down? He says, because that's what you deserve. I said, absolutely not. So I was arguing. And he, he, says, he said to me, you're a pastor, right? He said, yes. He said, because we've put you up on a, on a, on a newsletter and all that. You've been pastoring for over uh, quite a number of years. He said, do you have any assistants in your church? I said, yes. Do you have anybody who preaches? He said, yes. He says, do they sometimes give you your sermon notes? I said, yes. Do you check it to just make amends? I said, yes. As I was saying, yes, I packed my bags and I disappeared. Because I recognize... Well, exactly what he was saying because sometimes they give it to me and I say, Mate, this is too long, maybe you should reduce this. Just to give them some tips of how I would do. Now, uh, uh, just imagine they telling me no, but I've done everything I can do and this is right. I packed my bag. We, we never had that discussion again. But, but, it, but it left something in my mind like that's exactly how we look in front of God. We, we always think we are right, so we mark our own scripts. If you are, just imagine you're getting married to someone and you are the firstborn. You took care of all your siblings. You are the authority figure in your home. More or less, you will get into a relationship and you will still want to assert that authority unconsciously. And when somebody else, your spouse says, no, this is not right. Why? 
I know what I'm doing. You see, the problem is the more you say, I know what I'm doing, the more you are pulling that person down or making them subservient to an extent that they can't say anything in the house. And if it is a man that now becomes quiet and his voice doesn't carry any weight in the home, his voice will carry weight somewhere else that you may not be able to fight. Because generally he has nothing to do at home. He has nothing to come to home for because he can't have a really decent discussion with you without you going on the attack. He doesn't know what he's doing. He acts like a fool. Then you must be a fool to marry a fool. Because like attacks. What are you trying to say? Oh, she's stubborn. Did you not see that before you married? Did you not pray? And you saw that, oh, I will change her. I'm the man. Eh. <laughs> you find out that Jezebel is in your house. And many times we're just, we're acting out how we were brought up. We brought up predominantly with boys. I didn't know how to treat a woman. How would I know that? But, but the truth of the matter is that when she now says, you're not showing me love. Whoa, 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 what? I go to work. I work. I bring her home the bacon. Bacon, we, we, we now need, we, we, we need chicken now. Enough of the bacon. We're, t- we're tired of the bacon. We want the chicken. We want the, the meat. We want, we, we want the roast. We want you to die and eat you. As Jesus died for the church. But many of us are fighting. We just want to be right. We've become a dictionary instead of a communicator. We always have the last word. And we're going around, sitting in front of our girls' nights, or boys, and say, hey, in my house, <laughs> no, no, no one can speak. Uh, in my house, uh, uh, is that what you're accepting? I don't accept that in my house. The guy is somewhere else. The girl has gone far from your heart. Because we're trying to be right. If you're not in a relationship, God bless you. Listen now. Because we are a carbon copy of the environment we are brought in. And that's why the Bible says, be ye transformed. We want to be right. It's a really serious place. Daniel is here. He's been with us for a very long time. There are times we will have meetings up there long time ago, not now. Long time ago. Where when there's an issue, I say, no, 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 we need to do it like that. And then someone will rise and say, Pastor, I really don't think. And sometimes I see Daniel tap you like, be quiet, you're not going to win. But that's not a good leadership, is it? Why do you have people around you that can't talk? And one day when I saw it, I said, this is wrong. They need to be able to talk. So now I let them talk to each other, fight each other, stay back, and now take my notes and gain from them. So I come out looking nice. It's not about being right. It's about being righteous. Somebody is asking me, but Pastor, what is righteousness? Because the measure of righteousness is always in the context of relationship. It's not in the context of do's or don'ts. Righteousness means right relationship with God and with man. Because the commandment of love that God says, He says, love one another. 
It was a commandment. So being righteous means loving one another. Being righteous is what you read in the book of 1 Peter this morning as a Bible reading. It means that you have a right standing with God. You have a right standing with man. And remember, righteousness is not what you do. It is who we're supposed to be. Because you didn't earn righteousness. It's not about, I prayed in the morning, I prayed in the afternoon. Oh God, I came back throughout the entire day. I didn't curse anyone. No foul words came out of my mouth. Wow, what a day. Seriously, the Bible says that righteousness is like filthy rags in front of God. Because righteousness is imputed. It is given to you by the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something you did. And that's why we grew up in, so in these churches where wearing the right clothes, putting on the right lipstick or not putting up anything or anything at all, coming to church seven days a week and, 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 and being pious in their own eyes is what righteousness is about. But when Jesus looked at, he looked at, looked at the Pharisee or the Sadducee, he said, he said to him, he says, you say you're righteous. He said, Jesus, I thank you that I'm not like that publican. And Jesus looked at him and says, so you're righteous. Okay, sell everything you have, give to the poor. As we juxtapose those two different issues together. And the Bible says he went away sadly. And Jesus wasn't talking about him selling everything. That was not the point. Jesus was saying, stop thinking that you're righteous by what you're doing. Righteousness comes by what I give to you, not by works. So if we can strip away this form of righteousness that makes us look good in church but bad at home, we'll be able to know that God looks at your righteousness if you have a right standing with him and a right standing with man. Think about it. What if my child or my children and my wife just sees me just as pastor in church but hates me at home? What kind of righteousness is that? Because at home I always want to prove that I'm right. It's not a set of rules to adhere to. Quite simply, to be righteous is to do what is right and good for one's future. That, that is why, listen to me, listen to me, everyone. Husbands are right, listen to me. That is why being righteous can have an appearance of disadvantage. Especially in the moment. Because it seems hard to make the right choice. But in the long run, it is the opposite effect. Somebody saying, Pastor, what are you saying? Recently, this, this morning, we heard that Tyson Fury became the world champion. Very good. We're all celebrating with him. However, the point is this. There are many times this guy would walk, go into the gym and not feel like being punched. There are many times that he wants to eat Kentucky, McDonald's and every fried chicken that he can find. There are many times his body is craving for the food that you eat without thinking. And it looks right if he eats it then, but it's not righteous for where he's going. Because he, him denying his body of what he has a right to eat means that he's setting himself up for a blessing in the future. And now everyone wants to box him because his profile has now gone so much up that the boxer who wanted to fight him before and was saying 60-40 can only go 50-50 now because he has made the sacrifice in such a way that right now he's developed something on the inside of him and around him that has made him profitable. So it's not every day I want to walk into the gym. Absolutely not. It's not every day 
that I want to eat fish. Oh no. Sometimes I give me, give me, give, give me, give me some, some, sorry, uh, let me go back to my, to my, to my village for a while. Give me some pounded yam. Put some fantastic egusi soup that is flowing. And then give me assorted meats, different kinds of meat. Put the whole thing together. I want to have that daily. And I want to finish that in the afternoon and in the evening. Just have, 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 have some fine, good chicken crust that is fried in oil. And I have that. And then top it up with some magnum ice cream. Oh, oh the overwhelming. Oh. Now, ten years down the line, I'm in the doctor's surgery. And he's saying, you need to check your diet. Sometimes it may be too late. It's not what is right to do now. Because it's right for me. No one's paying my money for me to buy all that and eat. But is it righteous? And you hear me what I'm saying? Even though it may seem fantastic to indulge today you've got to think about the goals and the vision then the choice to do what is right for the goals actually brings the joy and the satisfaction that wouldn't have come when you make the wrong choice it is right for you to go out with any any guy who cares believer unbeliever yeah so far they pick you up if they be my wife and you're sitting in the car with your short skirt and your long hair. Good. It's right. But the seed you're sowing for the future. That BMW and that boy. That dude. Won't help you. When trials and tribulations come. He doesn't have the capacity to handle it. It may be good for you to go out with that guy. Where all the guys they see. is bad. You, 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 you hit it. You hit the devil. Because you're making choice by what looks right and not what is righteous. I will tame her. Let, let me tell you, in my pastoral experience, let me say this emphatically. And guys, you can disagree to your peril. You cannot tame nobody. No woman. You can't tame no woman. If she... When you think you have won... You just won the fight. You see, the war. She would terrorize you until you are six foot under. Trust me. The only thing you need from God is mercy and grace. And let me tell you something. While you're taming, you you don't have no peace. I don't want to go into a liar's den every single day. I don't know when that lion is going to... I want to go to the lamb. I want to go home. I don't want to do over, 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 uh, 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 over time. Over time. I'm killing myself. And then I'm coming home and I'm speaking in tongues. What are you taming? You think it's Shakespeare? You'll soon find out. Righteousness is being right in the sight of God. Righteousness, I'm telling you, 
brings greater satisfaction that goes deeper than the satisfaction of having gone along with temporary fleeting gratification. It is a joy of anticipation, far more interesting than a life of bad choices and waiting for the hardest. Righteousness breaks down our human self-will. The human self-will is everything. The human self-will is everything. The human self-will is everything that prioritizes my advantage. And quite often, that is at the expense of someone else. I have to be right. We are not moving until you agree with what I'm saying. It's so, it's so annoying that you keep arguing. The person says, okay, I've heard you. And you still didn't get the message. And then you're following them into the room. You're following them into the bedroom. And they think, can I just, can I just, can we just stop this? No, no, no. I don't think you still understand what I'm saying. You want to impose yourself. The guy says, I've heard you. The lady says, okay, I agree. But no. You just keep going on and on and on and on. And he says, okay, let's just have dinner. Ah, (laughs) You want to have dinner? Eh, Go and have dinner. You're so angry, sometimes you pick the dinner plate, you pour the food on him. It is happening. Don't open your mouth. It's happening here. You just come into church and you look righteous. What's the matter with you? You're so angry. The first thing you do, take the ring. Second thing you do, the, I don't understand the foolishness. You delete them from off your contact. Your husband is in your house. Your wife. Most of our will is saturated with unrighteousness. No matter, no matter how, I, how, how I dress it. You have your own will. I have my own will. And then I think if you could just, if you only just do my will, then we could be good friends. But that isn't true. If I have a care for people, if I have a desire to build up my home, then growth in this righteousness, in the sacrifice of my own will, will be an enormous benefit to my family, to my life, to everyone, because you can't mark your own script. I remember when my wife and I first got together, I've shared this before, I told her, let's meet at 12 o'clock. First time we were going out. First time! First time! 12 o'clock. She appeared at 3. Oh, Gabo Hosha. Oh! And something about me had no self-control or lateness. She walked through the door. I can still remember that she was wearing a jeans and a, and, a, and a white top and a brown jacket. I can remember. It, it traumatized me for a long time. <laughs> she walked in with a smile. I looked at her and said, what is the time? She said, three o'clock, first date. I'm like, this is not going to happen. <laughs> I was angry. If, you, if you knew you were late, I was living in Plasto then, I would have gone to Stratford, done some shopping, come back. You didn't call me, you didn't say anything, and you're just walking, as nothing has happened. I will not tolerate lateness. This is not going to happen. If we're going to break up, let's break up. Foolish. And I'm saying to myself, are you really serious about what you're saying? But I was like, no, I'm just not going to go through this. 
And she just said, I'm sorry. That infuriated me again. Like, girl, let's argue. So I'm sorry. So we went out. And we went to Kentucky Fried Chicken Place. That's what we could afford then. So stop smiling. And while we sat there and we were having that greasy chicken, I looked at her and I said, why do you just leave? I don't, know, I don't understand. Because all the while we were driving down there, I was like, why did she just leave? Because I was thinking, maybe this is not God. Maybe she, she should go. Maybe we find someone else. And so they said, well, because um, all the relationships I've been in, no one has ever told me the truth. I always get away with it. That's why I came three hours late. And when I apologized, they just say, oh, don't worry about it. I said, sorry. You need to worry about this one. <laughs> she said, and she knew that this is who I need. Maybe not who I want, but who I need. Many of you young ones will just close the door and walk out. You've got a defect that God is bringing someone into your life to repair. Mm-hmm. But because we always want to be right, we keep arguing foolishness. We, we're not perfect. And there's something about us that needs to change. And listen to me, when it comes down to it, I would rather be an idiot with a kind and a trusted master and loving friends than an infallible genius living in isolation. Many of us are living in isolation because we always want to be right. Being right doesn't teach us about love and trusting ourselves. In fact, being right may even lead us away from God because love does not put a microscope on your faults. It puts a microscope on someone's potentials. Love doesn't dip into the past and paint the past with a paintbrush to create an idea of who that person must be. No, love says that I'm submitting myself to you that we can walk this thing together. We are not in this discussion to find who is right. Listen to me. Nobody outside those rooms know what is going on. So when I sit down with my wife and we're having a discussion, babe, 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 babe. I'm not trying to win. It's not a, it's not a contest here. Yeah. Let's find out what is the best way. And the best way comes by us not trying to be right, but being righteous. Meaning sometimes we defraud ourselves. Sometimes we allow things to go. And not, eh, I, I allow that to go. That is, you, that's, not a right, that's, that's not righteous. Because you just told the person that they're still wrong. Uh, you know, the other day I didn't say anything. You know, you've said everything. <laughs> it's not that. It's allowing ourselves to let God move in our lives. And there are four ways to be righteous and not right. Number one is to walk in the presence of God. Just stay in God's presence. Now, let's, let, let's look at God. Let's look at God and us. Let's look at God and us. L- listen, God doesn't necessarily want us to always know what is right. Tap someone beside you. Say stop being right. right. Tap them again so they can wake up. Say stop being right. right. God doesn't necessarily want us 
to always know what's right. God doesn't necessarily always want us to know what's right. He wants us to admit that he knows better than we do and follow him with trust and humility. Listen to me. You are following God and there are questions you ask God that you never get an answer. God, why? But do you deny him? You still trust him. Are you following what I'm saying? Because God is righteous. You trust him because he's righteous. This thing that happened may not be what you want. It's not right. But God says all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So it may not be what is right, but God knows he's doing what is righteous. Because Joseph that went to the pits, to the prison, it wasn't right for him, but it was righteous for his future. And if that is our walk with God, so also God brings us together in love and we don't necessarily always have to find out what is right. Because even Adam and Eve, they wanted to find out what was right. So they put their hands towards the tree of knowledge and good and they found out that what they did in trying to be right was wrong. It wasn't righteous. God says don't eat that tree because if you eat that tree, that day you will die. You will die from my connection with you. And many of us are dying because we're trying to be right. We think we know it. You may know it. You may be more intelligent. You may be a good planner. But there's something you lack. Intuition. The person beside you may have it better than you do. Walking in the presence of God. Number two, seek wisdom. Bible says wisdom is a principal thing. Get wisdom. And with all your understanding, get understanding. The wisdom that we're looking about is the wisdom that is peaceable. Anything you do in your home that does not produce peace is not wisdom. The wisdom that comes from God is peaceable. So anything, any solution must draw peace. Let me say this to somebody who's struggling with me this afternoon. I'm telling you, you can't be cheated. The thing of righteousness means you are, sometimes you allow yourself to be defrauded. I didn't say allow yourself to be stupid, but allow yourself to be defrauded because you're sowing a seed of greatness for your future. You're right and you break a home. You're right and your children are doing badly at school because the atmosphere of the home is toxic. How do I be righteous and not right? Number three, be generous. Be generous. You've got to let it go. Let it go. Drop it. Let it go. Don't talk, 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 and, and boom, you drop the microphone. You drop devastation in the home. No, let it go. Even amongst friends, let it go. You're the loudest. You're the one that talks the most. You're the one that everybody has to obey. It doesn't work like that. Be generous. Jesus was generous. He gave his life for us so that we can give our life to other people. Jesus gave us generosity of mercy and favor. And righteousness is right standing with what? God and with man. So the generosity of mercy and favor that God gives us, we are supposed to also give to our spouse, to give to our friends, and to give to our relatives. And number four, don't be short-sighted. Don't look at the now. Look at the when. Don't be short-sighted. Don't be short-sighted. Many of us are making decisions for now. I was in Nigeria. My flight was delayed. Oh, didn't know why for a reason. It was delayed for three days. I was angry and all that. In the hotel where I was, we were eating all together. You know, I, I, I got things for people. 
God fought for them to have water and all that kind of stuff. And so we were having a discussion. And one guy was just shouting, I hate pastors, pastors, all of them are fought and all that. And I was there like, Jesus, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a business entrepreneur. And after a while, because the guy has been with me for days and all that kind of stuff, I said to them, I said, I'm a pastor too. He says, ah. I said, are you a businessman? He says, yes. I said, all businessmen are fraud. He says, no. I said, why? He says, I'm a businessman, and I'm not a fraud. I said, I'm a pastor, and I'm not a fraud. And not all men are dogs. So, you see, you can't paint everybody with the same brush. I said, are you a dog? He says, no. I said, but they say, oh, women say, all oh, men, some women say, all oh, men are dogs. You see, your, your, your an, a, a analysis, although it is right, is not righteous. Because not everybody does what you see everyone to do. He says, well, I'm not interested in prayer. I'm not interested in all that. I'm not interested in that. And my wife takes my children to the church. They can take their money and all that. I'm just not interested. And everybody and there were other pastors, they just left him behind. I said, bro, sit down. Let's have a discussion. Well, I'm not about to win this discussion. Let's forget about we fraudulent pastors. I include myself now. The problem is you're short-sighted because your children will do more than you have done. Because we pray that our children will outlast us and outbeat us. So if your spirituality is so bad now, your children will be far from God no matter what their mom does. What legacy do you want to leave behind? Has there been any day where you've brought your children together, held their hands and prayed for them to teach them that we still trust God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can think or imagine. Is there something that you Is there a spiritual legacy you're leaving for your children or money that cannot save them when money can't do everything that God himself can only do? I'm not telling you to go to a church. I'm just telling you, leave a good legacy of spirituality for your children. Because what you're doing now is you're looking at you and you're not looking into the future. Because your children will do worse than you are doing. And because you're not a bad businessman, find somewhere where you show your children, all of you, because you believe in God, all of you can go together and show them there's something that is higher. Somebody you respect. Somebody you honor. Not a person, but a relationship with a God. Then you will leave a legacy. Because if you continue like that, how old are your children? In 10 years, they will bring their problems to you. And you will now tell them, it's only God that can solve it. And they will laugh at you and walk out. He says, what's your number? Can I have your number? And I gave you my number. He says, when I'm in London, I'm coming to your church. He says, not a matter of church. He says, nobody has ever told me that before. Why did I say that story? Not because I felt I had the right answer, because I was trembling, I was in trepidation. What am I going to tell this guy? But it's just because some of you need to understand that righteousness is long-sighted. It sets something that will bring blessings for the future and not now. I'm not stupid when my wife gets away with things. She's not foolish when I get away with things. And I do. But the thing that brings us together is that if we decide to stay on our rights, we will destroy our home and the church. How many of us have realized that you will get into litigation with someone and the next thing they will say to you is, 
is it not better to settle it out of court? Because out of court will produce righteousness than you standing on your rights. Because your rights may be interpreted right in the law, but you can't prove it in court. And even though you may be right, when someone finds a loophole to it, it can be very expensive. Let's settle it out of court. Let's settle our lives and our marriages out of court. Let's settle our relationships, what? Out of court. Not because of now, but because of the future. Did you get anything from it, Nuyen? Amen. So, the skill of love, the skill of love is to aim to be righteous and not right. It's to aim to be. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Let's pray. Adopt the love command. Aim. So when you leave today, remember those two words. I will adopt the commandment of God. And if you don't know what I'm saying, go and listen to our tape. It's on the, it's on the website of last Sunday. And this Sunday, say, I'm going to aim to be right. It's a skill you will learn. You won't learn it in one day. But if you set your mind to it and you pray as you're praying this afternoon, God will help you. Come on, keep praying. And say to God, God, forgive me. Forgive me of always trying to be right. Repair damaged relationships. We're even trying to be right with our parents. Hey, they don't understand the millennials of today. They don't need to understand. They may not even understand who you are. But be righteous. Be, be giving. Be generous. Ask for wisdom. Husband, wives, ask for wisdom. Those who are in a relationship, you're about to be, you're not even married, you're still looking and finding faults because you want to be right. You can never be right. You need to be righteous. You need to trust God. Why you're not married and you're still on this long engagement is you're trying to be right. You're trying to trust yourself. And you will end up in disaster. Make a decision. God, I trust you. I will ask for your wisdom. I will seek your presence. I'm getting married. This is it. This is it for me. I will stay in this. I will walk with this. I will trust you. You've been listening to Ty Adeshugba, pastor of Worship Tabernacle Church. We hope you enjoyed this message. For further inquiries, visit us at www.worshiptabernacle.org.uk Alternatively, call us on 020-7435-3939 You can find us at the Citadel, Worship Tabernacle, 131 St. John's Way, N19 3RQ, Archway, London. Thank you for listening.